As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hear me? Can you hear me on the phone? I I've got you coming out of every orifice. <laughs> I'm really not. You're breaking off quite badly. Hello and welcome to The Lock-In, where I finally get to talk to people I want to hear from in a place I want to be, the pub. For some reason, this bloody thing has started playing back some rubbish. Oh, right. Where were we? I forgot. I have too. Hello, we're not much bothered about the sort of people who appear on chat shows and the rest of the celebrity crap. The idea on this podcast is to try to talk to impressive human beings and people with interesting ideas. We're going to hear today from a lifeboat man. All my life I've admired these people more than almost anyone. We're all familiar with the model lifeboats used to collect cash from donors, and occasionally you might see the real thing on a sunny seaside holiday. But how many of us think about the other end of the transaction, that all around our coasts are men and women willing to drop whatever they're doing at a moment's notice and risk their lives to rescue others? This network, which is reckoned to have saved the lives of well over 100,000 people in the last couple of centuries, isn't run by the government or funded by taxpayers given no choice in the matter. It's almost entirely dependent upon volunteers. They go out into all weathers, into mountainous seas, they risk their lives for no reward and for little regard. They are, it seems to me, bigger than most of us. One of those volunteers is Mark Criddle, the coxswain of the Torbay lifeboat. Mark, what was it that made you want to become a lifeboat man? Um, I think that for us, living in a small community in, in Brixham, there's um, the, there's... It's such a massive part of um, of your heritage and growing up. It's always been there. You always knew when it was going out. You knew people that were on it or involved with it. 
um and then growing up you know years as a as a local lad you it, you kind of aspired to 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 join in this this um this thing that you saw going on within the town and uh and then when i went to sea fishing and uh i, I actually used a boat a few times myself on boats that i've been on i had a fire on a fishing boat and it came out to me and stuff so you kind of always wanted to do stuff and when i had time to do it then um and then, then I just joined, um, joined up, and uh, joined the merry men who, who go and see. What do you do in real life? Uh, well, it is actually a job for me now. So it went from being a volunteer to I joined in '88 as a volunteer, and the one job that's always been full time within the RNLI is the mechanic, the station mechanic. So every big lifeboat station, and uh, not the inshore ones, but the, the where they've got an all-weather lifeboat, traditionally there was always a full-time mechanic. And they said it was full-time, but it was actually four hours a day when I started in 93. Um, uh, and um, you were supposed to have a second job. So it was kind of, kind of a job, kind of voluntary still. And I've continued since then, really. I started in 93, and then I became the, uh, became the coxswain, um, in 2015, so... But by training, you're a mechanic? Uh, I was a mechanic for, on the boat for 17 years, yeah, before I became the coxswain, so... And nowadays, the, there are some some stations, the busier stations, have a full-time coxswain and a full-time mechanic. Um, and a lot of that's down to work commitments and small communities where you haven't been able to retain people anymore. Um, and we've had to we've had to make sure there's always someone there to drive the boat, and make sure there's always someone there to look after the boat because they've got a lot more um, technology nowadays than they ever did when I first started. They're amazing things, aren't they? Are you impressed by yeah. the by the little ships? Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, it's such a even in the thirty odd years that I've done the 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 progress and the, and the way forward and the technology and the equipment and the you know the training around these vessels have been it's it's completely amazing um you know they are you know extremely expensive when we had our new boat in 2000 um in October 2000 we you know you were looking at 1.9 million pounds um for that boat and now those boats are getting to their 25 years life span um and their life extension plan is going to be for all the big seven class lifeboats that we we've got at Tall Bay which is the biggest one um they're going to be redone now um and it's at a huge cost so you've basically got a boat there now and it's going to cost almost the same amount again to 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 make it up to a, a an even a better boat than what it is now it always used to amaze me when i was a child they used to talk about self-writing lifeboats Lifeboats that came up automatically the, the, with the, the top side up. Is that still the case? Absolutely, yeah. And it was the, it was the case right from the early days, even, even in the days of rowing. All of those boats were self-writing. I mean, obviously, they didn't have the capability of keeping the crews in the boat, so that was a different issue. Um, but for us, yeah, all of the boats were uh, are self-writing, including the small ones. So even the Atlantic 85s and stuff like that, they're all self-inflated, um, self-writing. And then what you've got now is that we, we used to do every boat. So we would go to the Isle of Wight and carries on the Isle of Wight and there was a big crane there. And then we would tip every, every one that was built, we would tip over to see if it comes back upright. It took about five and a half seconds. Um, 
we did ask if we were allowed to go in it, but the it, it, the good old health and safety wouldn't allow that to um, wouldn't allow that to happen. But now they do about one in every five, and they don't tell. We build our own boats up at Pool now, up in up in, uh, our, our headquarters. Um, so we develop and build our own, design our own boats, build our own boats. But they don't tell the the guys in the factory which boat they're going to do. So they do one in one in five, I believe it is, um, and they randomly pick one and go right. We'll capsize that one just to make sure it's all, all working okay. God, what's it like to be in a lifeboat that capsizes? I'd love to find out. I mean, uh, we've we I, I say we've got close a few times, um, uh, and we've had we've had it leaned over a little bit, um, but certainly. <laughs> I, I've not experienced it. I think our um, I think our ex uh, uh, chief executive managed to to blag a, a seat on one um, and wavered all of uh, all of his life insurance and all the rest of it, and they tipped him over in it. And he said it was quite an experience. So, um, yeah, I've not I've not experienced that yet. It sounds awful, and yet you say you look forward to it. I I I think it would be really exciting to have a go at it. Yeah, I I I. I don't know. I mean, it's 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 something I know it occurs. It, 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 I've seen the capsize drill itself. Um, we're all strapped in on really bad weather jobs, and I I don't. It's a bit like the helicopters where they do the dunking, and and all the guys have got to experience that. Unfortunately, we can't just keep tipping lifeboats over to let crews experience it. So we can only talk about it in theory with crew members and and younger lads and say, well. If this happens, this is the procedure you need to follow. Um, so it's a bit of an unknown factor for most crews. Nobody really has experienced that. There are very few people um, that have. Um, so you're a pretty strange breed, aren't you? What are your colleagues like? It's fantastic. I mean, uh, you know, as a, uh, as a community, we're like a community within a community. And, you know, all, all the people there are there for the right reasons. So they all... They all, no one's holding a gun to their head. It's absolutely voluntary. They come down, they're willing to give up their work and parties and and things where we get called out and their families are involved. And it is a real family-orientated thing. We we do stuff with the station with the kids. And we've just recently bought some paddle boards and we've bought some kayaks and we sort of do fireworks and then we do Father Christmas for the kids. So we've got like this little community within the community and, and everybody wants to be there for the right reasons. So it's 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 not a work situation for me. It is just a way of life. And the, and the people that do it are are fantastic. I mean, quite obviously, I it, I I I also get paid to do it, which is fantastic because it allows me to to do a job that I love. If I didn't have to pay a mortgage, I would still do it for nothing. So it's um it, it's a great way of life. Uh, it's it's certainly fantastic atmosphere. Um, it can be. But the enthusiasm, I can, I can understand the enthusiasm just. But actually, what you're talking about is an enthusiasm for risking your life to save others. Yeah, I, I, I think individually people come up with lots, and it, and it's a question that you get asked, you, you, you get asked a lot. And it is until you've actually rescued somebody, um, it is really difficult to try and explain it in words, but. The, the the easiest way that I found over the years is that I I couldn't explain to you in words how somebody looks on the relief on their faces um, when 
everything else in their life is going wrong at that particular time. And, and this lifeboat turns out, now that could be even from the mundane thing as just a, a breakdown and a tow-in on a dark old night when they're out. Um, and it is a very lonely place to see. It's great fun and it's, it's, it's all of those things that we all love to enjoy and that last sort of freedom that we've got. And it's not regulated too much, you know, and there's some arguments either way about that. But we all need to stay safe. And, and when it goes wrong, it's, it's a really hostile and, and, and unpleasant experience. And just that look on somebody's face when you go to rescue them is quite unbelievable. And you can't put that look into words, if you know what I mean. It's really difficult to explain it. And you know, I've pulled people out of the water that didn't mean to be in there or fell in accidentally or whatever the case may be. And that expression and that look and their eyes and the, and the look in their eyes is... It's just something that you can't put into words, uh, and it is just that rewarding. What was your first call-out? Uh, my first call-out was to a, um, a, a... When I first joined, it was there was no pages and stuff like that, so it relied on the maroons going off, which made a couple of bangs in the town, uh, which we don't do anymore. So everybody used to turn up on the maroons, and you'd get down and... And as a young crew member, you 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 didn't get to go very often because we didn't have the amount of shouts that we have now as well. But I, my first one was uh, it was about two two o'clock in the morning, and it was kind of one of our usual things. Summer this time of year, too much drink, um, and somebody jumped off the local pier, um, which is Paynton Pier, um, which is a common occurrence when when there's a bit of alcohol floating around, and uh, not so much recently, which is good. Um, and then got detached from the people that were, were messing around. And in actual fact, he was extremely lucky to survive. We pulled him out of the water in a in a little boat, um, which is launched from the top of the big boat. And I was with a really experienced crew member who also happened to be a paramedic. Um, and this guy was very, very poorly. Um, I didn't know at the time. I mean, he's only 18, and um, I thought it was all very exciting. It was my first shape, but this guy was extremely lucky to survive and we were lucky to find him it was more luck than than judgment really have you kept have a you total kept of how many days you've been called out um not me personally i i mean there are records i i know personally i think i'm i'm getting to about 500 um in, in my career which you know to some degree doesn't sound a lot but we uh, at Tor Bay ourselves, we're probably one of the, you know one of the the top ten sort of numbers of shouts that we in the country. You know, lots of lifeboat stations don't get many shouts, but what they do get are, are tend to be really serious ones. Um, we tend to get a lot of everything because Tor Bay itself, you know, the English Riviera and all the rest of it, and it is just a massive playground for for everybody, and we get. You know, huge amount of jobs of, of cut off by the tides, inflatables, kayaks, paddle boards, divers, you know, all your all your sort of um, leisure craft, all your big commercial fishing fleet. fleet. We've got one of the you know busiest ports in the country. We've got the deep water pilotage. We've got all the big ships going out and down the channel. Lots of cruise ships now taking people off cruise ships are, are more when there are, well, well, when there's people on them. Um, and now because of the lockdown, everybody, to be honest, everyone who's getting refunds from holiday, I think are going out buying paddle boards or, or, or boats. So it's very, very busy. Is it actually dangerous? 
I th- I think there 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 obviously there are some dangers within it. Um, we try to 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 mitigate some of that with all you know with all training and the experience that we we have that we surround ourselves with, and and obviously the experience I've gained over the years. You know, it is a dangerous job. I mean, obviously coming into the winter, there are there are jobs that are you know that will become more difficult due to the weather conditions um lots of jobs we're doing now the weather isn't a factor um but certainly the weather jobs and then putting boats alongside of boats in poor weather or bigger ships and and not having enough sea room you know on the shoreline and anything like that um yeah the 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 potential is that we you know we we could we could get something wrong we could have an accident and and you know, we we could end up paying the ultimate price um, as 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 crew members. So, does it, the RNLI actually yes. lose people? Um, well, that 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 they have done in the past. I mean, the last one, the the last well known one was obviously the Penley disaster. So, um, yeah. you know that 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 was the last one. Thankfully, um, how hard is it to get volunteers these days? Yeah, I, I think it's more our problem at the moment, Jeremy, is more about um, not the people that want to do it. Loads, you know, lots of people want to do it, but you know, people's time nowadays is precious, and you know, the work commitments and the lack of work in a small communities and the lack of housing or affordable housing. You know, there are very few youngsters that are, you know, that are able. Uh, uh, to stay within, you know, sort of lifeboat communities because they are all based pretty much, you know, rural, quiet little towns. You know, there are very few that are placed where you've got lots of um, uh, of, of footfall, lots of people that are working. So my problem is always trying to find daytime cover and people that are actually available to um, to give up their work and 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 come down to the station sort of a nine to five jobs we have um because lots of all crew work out of the town now uh where when i joined nobody did you know nobody worked out of the town everybody worked within the community um and those things have changed um both of my i've got two boys you know one's just about to go into the navy and one's just leaving well one's just waiting for his exam results um which he didn't take so <laughs> Yeah, it's really difficult for youngsters. Um, that's that's the, the, one of the biggest problems. Now, you took part in the rescue of the Ice Prince in 2008, which was a pretty serious business and earned you a lot of recognition. Let's go back to that night in 2008. How did you first hear about the emergency? Um, I mean, that, that itself on that, and that night is the, the first that I know about any job is when my pager goes off um, and... As the Cox and I, um, we have a slightly different pager to the crew. So, as a as an independent organisation, the the Coast Guards who run maritime rescues around the UK actually ask for permission to use the boat, which people aren't aware of. So they actually page to ask if they can use the lifeboat to go to sea. So, the first request that we get is they are giving us the information of what the job is. And then we decide whether we launch a lifeboat to that. So the first indication I had was that what they call is a launch request. And then we contact the Coast Guards to find out exactly what's going on. And then obviously once they give us a brief, we, we then go and put the pages off to get all the crew down. 
When you put to sea, um, did you manage to speak to the skipper of the boat that was in distress? Uh, not initially because of the distance travel. Um, we had 30 or 32 miles to go. So we couldn't initially hear. We, we, we tend to only be hear one side of the conversation. So we'll only hear the Coast Guard side of the conversation because we can hear them talking to the ship, but we wouldn't necessarily hear the ship coming back. Um, we have to get a little bit closer. So the time we got to about sort of 15, 17, 15 miles to go to the ship, then we could have direct contact with him. Um, and then you can sort of hear the, the voice change and you can hear, you know, the anxiety within his voice, even though he's, you know, he, he was, a, a, I, think, I think he was a, 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 a Greek skipper with, with um, reasonable English, but you could tell by the tone of it and the urgency you knew that it wasn't a good job for you know it was it was one of those jobs did um did he tell you exactly what the problem was yeah absolutely so the problem itself originally was only the fact that the cargo had had shifted to one side and he had a really bad list on it which again in its own right is not that uncommon with timber carrying vessels so we'd already gone to the sister ship of of the ice prince um about five or six years before that, um, but certainly from um, from us, that kind of a, is a bit of a routine thing. Other than the the extreme weather at the time, but as the situation developed and the engine stopped, and then a guy broke his leg on the boat, and then everything, the engine room started to flood and stuff like that. So it just escalated from the moment of launch, really, up to the point we got there the whole thing escalated up to the, the, the job it ended up being. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. When you came alongside, you were originally there as a, as a kind of standoff boat, weren't you? When did you yeah, realize you had to effect a rescue and there were numbers of crew who had to be brought off the boat? Well, that again is, is down to the, the master of the ship and um, as much as... You know, it's not for me to tell him to to evacuate or, or you know to 
to get off his boat, um, off his ship, really. Um, so basically that decision is his. After the helicopter had taken its its full quota of 12 away, um, and they were going to be, you know, over an hour getting back to us, um, we had Salcomer, which is a slightly smaller lifeboat than, than, than our seven, as well as, I just I just called him up and said, look, you know, look, Captain, what 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 do you want to do? Um, and it immediately just said, I need to evacuate the ship right away, you know, and and that's when it became sort of real for us is is that now we're looking at this this huge ship in poor weather, you know, how 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 do we how do we get these people off? This is, you know, this isn't stuff we train for. We 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 can't go out in gales of wind practicing going along ships that are are, are sinking. You know, you've got this theory in your head, but it's. It's only stuff you had heard and picked up off of other coxswains and things that they had done. So all these things are floating through your mind. And so it becomes real then all of a sudden. And, and we've got to come up with a plan that's going to that work and keep everybody safe. There were what, eight were men what? left on the boat? Yeah, there was eight, eight, eight left on the boat. Um, and then we we spoke to them. And, and, and unfortunately, what what? They were up in the wheelhouse at the time, all gathered up there to be rescued by the helicopter. So we could once they left that, we didn't have any communication. So we had to make sure that when when we had agreed a plan, it couldn't be changed after that point because we had no way of contacting them other than shouting, um, which really didn't work out well in in that in that kind of weather. So we had a plan. Everybody knew about it. And then we had to kind of stick with it after after they left the wheelhouse to come down to the after end of the ship to, to get them off. Now, most now, of these most eight men, your crew, hauled aboard the lifeboat. Is that right? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so we, we went alongside up to about 50 attempts to, to get them off. Um, you know, sometimes we were in the right place um, and sometimes we weren't. Sometimes we had to back away rather quickly. Um, and we, we gradually got, you know, the confidence, uh, you know, me steering the boat and trying to do everything nicely without, you know, sort of hitting the boats too hard together and causing damage. And obviously I've got my crew that are all exposed on the foredeck of the boat. Um, you know, at any time I could have knocked any of them into the water by hitting the boat too hard. So all of these factors are there. Um, it only went a bit wrong when one of the crew members um, from the ship didn't actually make the deck of the boat and fell down between the vessels, um, and that was that was probably my worst fear at that time that that was going to happen, and 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 it, it subsequently it did, um, which caused us a few problems at the time. You brought them off successfully. What do you say if I say to you, "You're a brave man, and I salute you, and I respect you." Uh, what do you say to that? Does it not seem like bravery to you? Does it not seem like a? Uh, does it just seem like an ordinary job? Uh, it 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 does because I think, I I it's again it's really difficult to put your finger on that of of, it's it's that pride and that um, that achievement is 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 fantastic and and one of the nicest things within the lifeboating stuff, it's very rare that you actually take people off of ships. You know, it's, it is absolute last resort. You know, your, your best life raft is your boat, um, whatever size it is. And you only ever get off it at the last resort. So 
you know, I've spent a whole career doing lots and lots of towing boats in because the safest place for the person is on the boat and we bring the boat back in safely. And all of those things that go through your mind and the things that you actually, can you actually achieve? Could you do this? Could you get people off a sinking ship in a gale of wind? They're all unknown. And when you achieve that, and with a crew and a boat that does exactly what they said it was going to do and look after us all and, you know, really stand up to the, the work that we put it through, the engines, the, the hull design and everything else about these things. It's a real pride thing. And being able to deliver those people back to the pontoon, that bit of that, there's a guy called Billy Tribble, who I used to work for. He's a pilot boat guy who is really, really experienced boatman. And I looked up to him as a lad and I, I just always saw he takes a pilot boat and takes out pilots to big ships and stuff. And his his father-in-law was on the crew, made me join. And I brought those eight people back into our pontoon and Billy was there because uh, he needed to get the details and the ship, ship stuff and things and look after them. He was there and he just looked up and went, good job, Crids. And that was all, that was enough for me. You know, that was great. That's, uh, praise from him was was kind of all I needed, and I think it was just brilliant. Um, um, these guys were not British, were they? It was a Greek boat. It was taking timber from Sweden to Egypt. Why was it your responsibility? Uh, well, I mean, obviously, all, all distress at sea is the responsibility of the Coast Guard and um, Maritime Coast Guard and agency at, at Solent at uh, so they they are coordinating in UK waters um, the the response to a to a mayday so that's exactly what what it was and they would look at the assets that they have available to to put that right um, you know so you know anybody that is in distress at sea regardless of where they came from regardless of what they're doing. We're not there to judge. We are only there to go and make things better uh, and, and try and help the situation, um, uh, and be it from whatever country, whatever nationality they're from. And they were a very mixed crew, um, you know, Filipinos and, and um, some, some Indian crew and stuff, which is and the normal makeup of, of a lot of these big, you know, merchant ships nowadays. Um, Greek skipper, um, I think the engineer was Russian. So there was a real, real mix of, of nationalities there that we took off. Does doing your job make you have a different view of human nature and human beings? Um, I, I guess it does a little bit. I mean, it, it, it reminds me how vulnerable you are. Um, you know, we, we, we see a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of fatalities, um, sadly. Um, we see a lot of fatalities of young ages, uh, you know, older people, for whatever reasons and problems they have in their life, it's a big problem for us. We get far too many, um, and especially that mental health issues nowadays with younger lads. Um, and we are we are seeing that side of life, which is really really disturbing and really difficult to deal with. We're seeing, you know, stuff that, you know, how people can survive things um, that they shouldn't survive. You know, falls and cliff falls and and things that are just not survivable and you do your best thinking that will never they're never going to survive that and then you know six months later you see them and you think well how, you know that how the hell did that happen um it, it's just you see the best of of human nature and 
and survival and and everything else and it's it does give you a a different outlook on life you know when we've it's been really tough for me when i've dealt with youngsters that have have, have died through through you know incidents and i've come home to see my kids who are the same age and and that that takes a bit of doing then that you know that that does really really make you appreciate what you've got i can assure you how many people are alive today because of you do you think I really don't know, Jerry. I, I just couldn't, I couldn't, I think it's it's kind of unmeasurable because lots of the work that I do will be going into schools and and doing stuff that are trying to prevent things, which is what the RLI is all about. It's all about trying to prevent these accidents happening, um, you know, so that the lifeboats aren't really doing anything, you know, Um and I, I always find that really difficult. It's kind, of, it's, kind of, it's kind of unmeasurable because I don't know, did somebody not do something in later life because they remember something that I said to them? And unless they come back to you and go, oh, you saved my life because I went to the beach and I didn't do that because I remember you telling me. Um, and you don't ever get that feedback. But I'd like to think that, you know, preventing, we've prevented lots of things happening because of the work that we do right across the board you know uh, and I think that's the key message we spend a lot of youth education now a lot of stuff in schools lots of lifeguards doing loads of stuff on the beaches trying to get people to swim in the right places and you know so it, it's there's lots and lots of prevention work so I think that figure is is probably huge do people ever say thank you uh, yes uh, yes and no um it, it's it is quite rare to get nice letters or nice feedback from people. You get some lovely letters occasionally. Um, there is lots of embarrassment involved in in being rescued, and sometimes the embarrassment and the the nature of what's happened um, and the situation they've got themselves in to tend to put people on the back foot a bit. So you don't tend to get that interaction with them at the at the initial because this great big orange lifeboat turns up with, you know, six or seven blokes on it all peering down at you. And I think that puts them in a really uncomfortable place. Um, and we're not there, you know, we're not there to give them, you know, earache. I don't think people intentionally go out to run out of fuel. Yes, it's bloody stupid. Um, did they intend to do that? Probably not. So... I'm not one for, for for issuing out bollockings to people. You know, we all we all make mistakes. We just got to be a little bit more careful. But occasionally, you know, I'll open up the post a, a week later, and a, and a lovely little thank you letter will come through. I'll pin it on the board for the lads, and we all look at that and go, "Oh yeah, I remember that job, yeah." And 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 that's kind of that's kind of all you want as a as a lifeboat man to be appreciated, especially the volunteers. You know, I, it is a job for me, but you know, my volunteers, it's lovely for them to. To, to get a pat on the back every now and again, which is which is great. What's your thought about why a service like yours should rely upon volunteers and be outside the purview of government? I I, I think for, for you know over the years that that, that I've been involved with the RNLI as a volunteer and as a full timer, I think you know it, it just wouldn't be the organisation it is now. Um, with 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 a government funded organization you know we you only got to look at what's happened to the coast guards around the uk and 
you know, and the, the way that was sort of done and 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 all amalgamated into you know into these hub units instead of all the little local ones. We had a Coast Guard station in Brixham, you know, and that was closed down, and it went to Solent. Um, you know, it's. It, I I think that would have happened to us. I think it would have been you know to have two hundred and I think it's two hundred and thirty seven lifeboat stations around the UK and the Republic of Ireland, mind as well. We operate in the Republic of Ireland. You know, with I don't think we would have that personally. I don't think we would have that many lifeboat stations. I don't think we would have the resources that we have, and I think we we would bog down in 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 the bureaucratic kind of life of of government or stuff like that. And I think you know as long as the public support us, you know we we will go out and 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 we will go out and continue doing what we're doing. Um, to our best ability and and quite obviously this this you know the the corona issue at the moment is has knocked us really badly with with fundraising and all of the other things that we we, we rely on to get all money in so it's it's a really difficult time for for us and all all other charities at the moment why is it that the lifeboats have such a place in people's hearts do you think i think it's really because most people have travelled to seaside resorts and seaside places and and holidayed in these places. And I think, you know, there are so many people being touched by it, you know, be it now on the beaches, you know, with the lifeguards and stuff as well. But certainly um, when when we were awarded some stuff, I was coming to London quite a lot to do various different things and different awards and stuff and things that you know, which I know, you know, I, I I'm you know I'm a country lad. I, I, I haven't been to London. You know, it's a big city with lots of things going on, but it seemed to be like every taxi that I went in, or uh, and they like talking, don't they? Um, you know, everyone had everyone had been on holiday in Torbay. You know, and you say, well, where are you from? Or Torbay? Oh, I went on holiday there, and so. You know, lots of legacies and lots of people are are they're all based around memories. Lots of the stuff that we get are uh, lots of all big legacies where someone will have no family and stuff will will be purely on the grounds that that they holidayed in Torbay for like fifty years as a, as a kid and as a, a young adult and into the you know with their grandkids and then you know they sadly they go and die and they they leave the money to Torbay Lifeboat Station purely because they walked past it for like 50 years and, and and they had this association with it even though they never used it so I think a lot of that is to where they're based and this it's like this icon you know everybody who comes to Brixham's seen it it is right there you know you've got to walk past it and and I think lots of places are probably the same, and that that would be my best that would be my best guess. What do you think about the fact your chief executive is so highly paid? Oh, now you now see now you're getting into things. Well, I I, I mean I I personally I I, I know Mark actually he's from Southampton, um, and he's just took a fifty percent pay cut um, to to get us through the to get us through the Corona um, crisis. So, you know, good fair play to him. Um, I think within all of these things, you need people pay. You need the right people to be paid the right money to do the right job, um, and you know you you don't you, you you don't you don't if you don't pay the right money, you don't get the right people. We wouldn't have the right service. Um, so I mean, hopefully people can see that. And I 
I would imagine Jeremy not being a, 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 a knowing what CEOs and get paid around the world and different organisations. I'm sure he doesn't get paid what he should. Fair enough. Cheers, Mark. Cheers, Jeremy. Have a wonderful day. Thank you very much. Well, there you are. Mark Triddle, lifeboatman, and to take a word that's often used and rarely merited, something of a hero. His stories and the stories of many other dramatic rescues have recently been published in a new book from the RNLI called Surviving the Storms. Next week, I talk to a woman whose story of cliff path redemption is so touching it seems sure to be a film soon. Raina Wynn, author of The Salt Path, Unconventional doesn't do her justice. Do turn up for that, and in the meantime, stay safe. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.